Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, here we are. Transition continues. Still waiting on the concession speech. And Joe Biden is uh, proceeding apace the, as, as, as the president-elect. We're going to have an interesting guest today on Powerhouse Politics. We're going to be talking to, I, I think, one of the real emerging stars coming out of this. What are we calling this, Rick? This isn't, this isn't the recount. This is the awakening. What, 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 what do we call this post-election, pre-concession period? Overtime, the, the 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 weirdness, the long national nightmare. I, I don't I don't know, John. It's it's definitely weird because you, you, like the, the lay of the land right now is that uh, President Trump has not conceded, uh, but there is no path to come back. It's 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 actually substantially different than the Florida recount on on so many levels. But the the the, the most yeah, relevant is that a, yeah. there is no. There's not even a legal kind of long shot path right now that exists to, to have Donald Trump win the presidency. Uh, they, they haven't outlined in court or elsewhere anything approaching that. Now, two weeks after the election, the numbers are, are there. The filing deadlines are, are uh, or sorry, the, uh, the certification deadlines are starting to, to crash in. The legal rulings are coming down fast and furious, and nothing is breaking the president's way because the facts aren't on his side. And it, it definitely, it just, it's just weird. It's just weird to say that uh, two weeks out, you, you don't have a, a full, clean transition beginning. So our guest that we'll be talking to shortly is uh, the Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, one of the more interesting and colorful figures to come out of all of this. Uh, if you haven't checked out him, if you haven't checked him out on Twitter, it's worth doing. He's been trolling, for instance, the Lieutenant Governor of, of Texas and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> with, with, with examples of Republican voter fraud in Texas. Anyway, interesting guest. But I, I wanted to, to let's be, before we get into the Trump of it all, get to the Biden of it all. Um, Biden, as we've talked about, uh, we talked about last week, seemed to be the least freaked out person in America about all of this. He knows that the transition is proceeding. He knows that he will be sworn in as president on January 20th. Uh, he didn't even, uh, as, as we talked last week, at that point didn't even seem to be all that concerned about either Republicans refusing to acknowledge him as president-elect at this point, saying simply they will, or even uh, the fact that he isn't getting uh, the, uh, the intelligence briefings. But I've noticed, Rick, slightly uh, a change in tone uh, from, from Biden as we have, as this has gotten weirder, the president has dug in, I think even more than, than, than some of those close to him thought he would be digging in. So this was Biden speaking about the potential danger of this moment and the way the president is handling it on Monday. What do you see as the biggest threat to your transition right now, given President Trump's unprecedented attempt to obstruct and delay a smooth transfer of power? More people may die if we don't coordinate. Look, as my chief of staff, Ron Klain, would say, who handled Ebola, a vaccine is important. It's of little use until you're vaccinated. So how do we get the vaccine? How do we get over 300 million Americans vaccinated? What's the game plan? It's a huge, huge, huge undertaking. And as Klain had put it uh, on Sunday, vaccines don't save lives. Vaccinations take, uh, save lives. 
And this will be, there's great news on the vaccination front. And Operation Warp Speed is at least part of the uh, part of the equation here, although Pfizer wasn't formally part of it. But, you know, clearly, you know, that th- th- there has been a successful effort here. But the head of Operation Warp Speed, you know, appointed by President Trump, has also said we've got to start coordinating because the big challenge is getting those vaccines out across the country, arranging for people to be vaccinated. These are mass vaccinations on a level of which we have never seen. Um, It's not going to be an easy logistical challenge. And the president's continuing to pretend that that he hasn't lost uh, and not coordinating on that. So anyway, it's it's a challenge. And then we had this news overnight. The president has fired uh, Christopher Krebs, the uh, the, the top home, uh, cybersecurity official in the Trump Homeland Security, uh, Department of Homeland Security. Uh, because what was his sin? What was his great sin? He ran a successful effort to prevent any cyber attacks on the elections. And he said that the security of the election systems is unquestioned. He Look at all the experts that are out there. There's a lot of crazy talk about, um, you know, voting machines that were, uh, you know, kind of rigged the election. All that zero evidence. That's what Krebs said, and then he found himself uh, fired via tweet because he said that it was uh, a, cl- a clean, a cleanly run election. Uh, and and yeah. I, I, you know, I, and look, he he had been signaling that he expected that he could be fired based on his activities, which is itself a, a chilling statement. But there, there wasn't even, to, to my mind, John, the, you know, any, kind of, any kind of pretense around this. He was fired for saying it. Uh, the president made it very clear he was fired via tweet, and he was fired for saying it because it did not, it did not comport with the political message that the president uh, continues to propagate. Uh, and his lawyers continue to try to, try to spread his – some of his aides and advisors continue to, to – to, to, to try to spread. John, how, how prevalent is the view really in the White House and in the inner circles of the Trump sanctum that there is any real question about the election outcome? Do people actually believe what they are saying on cable TV and in some cases saying in court filings? Well, it's actually been interesting to look at the court filings. Some of the, some of the stranger uh, allegations and the most outlandish allegations are actually not repeated in the court filings. Uh, because, of course, it would be a, a, a crime to present uh, things to the court that are knowingly untrue. So the court filings have not gone anywhere near as far as the president's Twitter feed or what some of his allies are saying on Capitol Hill. So do people really believe this stuff? I, 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 most, For the most part, the people close to the president do not. Uh, they know it's over. They know it's a matter of time. Now, there may be exceptions here. Um, you know, his press secretary, Kelly McEnany, continues to go out and gets a step closer with each passing day to looking like America's version of Baghdad Bob, um, just willing to repeat any of the crazier allegations. And the other day she was waving a binder or, uh, around on, on Fox News saying this is all the evidence that they have all the affidavits of, <clears throat> of fraud and the like. And, and I think... You know, this, you know, Rudy Giuliani, from all I've heard, um, has been has been pushing this and really pushing it um, uh, with, um, you know, with, with the president's team and with the president himself. And the president's also hearing from outside people like, you know, Lou Dobbs and, uh, you know, various other kind of cable television, you know, personalities are calling and egging him on and on this effort. But, you know, for the most part, the people close to him at the White House certainly uh, his allies on Capitol Hill, 
you know, will will at the sometimes get pretty close to publicly, but but at the very least privately, you know, acknowledge that this is all winding down. And those are people I've talked to directly. Yeah, and I, I, I look, I've I've heard similar things, and you know, it's it's important I think separate that out from the public actions because there's a heck of a lot of Americans who believe it and and do actually think that this was stolen, that this was rigged. Uh, the president, you know, take him seriously, take him literally. Either way, it's pretty scary at this moment. And um, the, these these lies, and they are lies, have consequences. Uh, and there are consequences now around the transition of government. There are also consequences, uh, perhaps more serious ones, about the integrity of government, whether you can trust election results or, or not. Uh, and, and John, I'd like to just highlight you know what might be the you know one of the one of the few profiles encouraged in the in the Republican Party in all of this uh, the situation in Georgia where uh, the the Secretary of State ordered a, a manual audit which is essentially a, a hand recount a vote by vote recount that's wrapping up uh, today on Wednesday uh, and, and he has been um, among the few Republican elected officials to just say outright. Look, there's nothing nothing weird to see here. Joe Biden won this thing. And it's been fascinating to see the pressure he's gotten, public and private, from, from Republicans, from the White House, uh, and from the, the Senate Judiciary Chairman, Lindsey Graham, who, who decides to call him up and, and, and try to lobby him on this. This is, this is a fascinating dynamic, and I think Brad Raffensperger is a, is a major player to watch uh, in, in terms of how all of this ends, and it will end. Brad, you're talking about the Brad Raffensperger that was a guest on Powerhouse Politics uh, a week before the election. Well, was he? Was he? Oh, was he? <laughs> yes, was he? Yes. yes. Well, look, yes, yeah, he might, may, have been, may have been that guy. Yes. And, and Raffensperger at the time, I remember, um, first of all, gave, gave a very clear rundown of how they were going to handle things in in Georgia, including uh, that they would be counting, and they had been counting early vote as it came in, in contrast to what we saw in places like Pennsylvania. Uh, but Raffensperger talked to our very own Mary Bruce uh, just yesterday about the the pressure that he has been under by fellow Republicans. I mean, of course, you know, you had you had the two Senate candidates actually call for him to step down. Uh, he's been attacked by many of the president's allies. The president himself has gone after him uh, harshly. Uh, so this is what Raffensperger uh, uh, said to our Mary Bruce about all of that. How does it feel to come under this kind of fire from members of your own party? Um, it comes with the territory. Not surprising? Well, it's surprising at some of the vitriol and outright lies and then, you know, some of the threats that you get. Uh, I would have thought Republicans were better than that. But, uh, you know, I guess both sides have their elements, don't they? I mean, it is outrageous. He is a profile in courage, but you would hope that it wouldn't take that much courage to simply do your job as <laughs> Secretary of State. But, but in this environment, perhaps it does, and he has done his job, and he has uh, not cowed to any of this pressure. I think Christopher Krebs, who was just fired, uh, we mentioned uh, from the Department of Homeland Security, another kind of profile of courage, getting out there very directly and saying that uh, these crazy theories about how vote machines have been, you know, have cooked it all for, uh, you know, for, for, for Joe Biden, absolutely no evidence of that. I mean, it sounds, was it Defiance, Ohio, where um, <laughs> that, uh, that they got the president in scandal elected? Um, it's, it's, it's crazy talk. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy talk. Yeah, and I, I, look, I, I, John, you, you've been, I think, saying 
for weeks now that it's hard to imagine a, a, a gracious concession speech or maybe any concession speech at all from President Trump. Uh, to my mind, though, you know what what is, what is now becoming clear is that the the strategy and it's a multi pronged strategy that involves you know the political end and communications as well as now the, now fighting in courts isn't actually at this point to try to overturn the results of the election i think the writing is very clearly on the wall and there is no no legitimate path to do that i don't buy into the 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 crazy talk, I think it's crazy talk of Republican lawmakers just throwing out the vote and naming their own electors. They've been ruling that out. That's not the end game here. It seems to me that the end game, John, is is just creating more chaos, creating more doubt, and creating a situation where the president can ultimately walk away saying, I was cheated out of it, you were cheated out of it, and by the way, I'm not going anywhere, uh, and you're, you're going to hear more from me a lot in political life and maybe in 2024. And the conspiracy theories will be here forever. Um, you know, you have, uh, there, there have been polls that suggest that upwards of half of the Republicans in this country believe that, uh, that, that Donald Trump actually won this election. Uh, those, those conspiracy theories are, are, are not going to go away. I think it's incumbent upon us to kind of describe exactly, you know, what happened here. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's really something, but uh, the president will eventually give a speech. It is notable by the way, Rick, that, uh, the president has not answered questions from reporters uh, since all this went down. Since the election, right? Am I am I right about that? Since since the election, really? Yes, it's Two really weeks. something. Yeah, we've barely heard from him at all, um, and also we had a you know the the, the, the strange announcement regarding the, uh, the 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 troop drawdowns from Afghanistan. And Iraq, which was portrayed as simply no change in policy, so I don't know what they were actually announcing. But you had the the acting defense secretary, uh, Christopher Miller, who started his uh, announcement, came into the White House, into the I'm sorry, in the Pentagon briefing room, stepped up to the podium, and the first thing he said was. Uh, was to introduce himself. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. I'm Christopher Miller, and I'm your defense secretary. And then, and then you had, uh, you know, uh, the the national security advisor uh, Robert O'Brien come minutes later and, and talk to reporters uh, from from the White House stakeout position outside the West Wing, uh, describing this again continued continuation of, of policy. Uh, but neither one of them took questions. It's like we we have a we have a. A president who is pretending that he's working towards a second term and or who is in reality ending up his first term, who is not answering questions and none of his none of his top officials are unless you count, like I said, Kelly McEnany's uh, appearances on Fox News. Yeah, and the, and the, the personnel moves such as they are do appear to be aimed at settling scores, at, at, at punishing people who weren't loyal, at you know, putting – kind of black marks on resumes on the way out the door, uh, as opposed to a governing agenda for a second term. I, and look, I, I, I don't know I don't know how it ends. I know there are some deadlines. Th- these, th- there are some real legal deadlines this week, certification deadlines this week. There's the meeting of the Electoral College in, in the various states in, in mid-December. Uh, it will end. It's clear. But how it ends is the Trumpian mystery of the moment, and a lot of that I do think is wrapped up in in how the president sees what his political future is beyond this year, knowing that he is not going to be president after January 20. So is the key deadline, the key real dead, dead deadline, the safe harbor deadline, which is December 8th? 
Well, in a, it, it might be, although if you're playing it out as Trump, you wouldn't mind a state or two blowing past the, state, the safe harbor deadline uh, because that's where you could potentially get the legislature involved. So I think you know, December 14th is when the Electoral College – that's, that's when it becomes irrevocable. You know, but the wheels are in motion now. I mean it, it, this is – so explain, explain what happens on December 8th and December 14th before we take our break. So December 8th is, as you said, the safe harbor deadline. So that's a deadline that Congress has set to have electors in place to ensure that, um, that, that a state has electors. Uh, the, the, the thinking, though, in some circles is if you go past that date and the state hasn't settled it, then the state legislature has no choice but to, uh, to, to, to name its own electors so that the state doesn't have fewer electors. The other possibility is if you if you want to withhold your electors, you're you're keeping someone from 270 electoral votes. Maybe you throw it to the House of Representatives instead, where as we know, every delegation gets one vote, and Republicans would actually have uh, an edge. But these are these are far flung theories. December 14th is the real date to to circle on calendars because that's the electoral college. As we know, no one has actually been elected anything yet. Um, we've elected a lot of electors in various states, but the the electoral college is the is the is the is the the entity that matters here. So what do they do? Have a big Zoom meeting on the 14th? Is that how it works? <laughs> <laughs> no, every they meet in every state. It's I wish they, I wish they would be better than that. They should like there there is no college that they actually come together in something. You know that no, it's it's not nearly as fun. No, no. No, no, okay. not, as, not, not that much fun. All right. But yeah, we'll be watching this. All right, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back uh, with our guest, the Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, in just a minute. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining us now is the Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor, John Fetterman, who predicted before Election Day that it would be his state that would choose the next president. Uh, he has also uh, been very clear about what is happening in Pennsylvania and the lack of any kind of uh, voter fraud. So, Lieutenant Governor, thank you for joining us. I, I, sure. I want to start with a, a question. You, you know your state as, as well as anybody, and um, there's been a sustained effort by the president and his allies mm -hmm. uh, to suggest that uh, the, the Democrats in the state of Pennsylvania have effectively stolen this election from him, particularly uh, Allegheny County, Pittsburgh, and, and, and areas around uh, Philadelphia. So my, my question to you is not the merits of that argument. We can, we can get to that. I, there frankly aren't many merits, uh, any perhaps. But how much has that taken hold among Republicans in your state? Are you finding that there are large numbers of Republicans who believe this stuff well, in Pennsylvania? Well, I, I, over the weekend, the last three days, I had you know, done a, a real extensive tour of, of very red Pennsylvania. And it is remarkable the level of Trump flags that are still flying, yard signs, and this, this energy that you would have expected would have dissipated by then. It, it, it absolutely hasn't. And I would remind anybody to think that, you know, all these millions of Pennsylvanians that voted for the president are suddenly going to say, well, that's it. But uh, to, to your point, um, I, I think largely it's it's protest votes, if you will, like this idea that they don't necessarily believe it, but they will they will echo it and they will in solidarity mention it. But uh, as I've been pointing out nonstop on my own platform, there's been two cases of voter fraud and criminal charges in Pennsylvania, two, two. And they both involve Republicans voting for 
relatives, either dead or alive, a mother and a Democrat son, both in Luzerne and Chester County. And that's a fact. You've had, quote, 500 lawyers on the ground for over two weeks now, and they haven't produced one single example. It's, it's really kind of sad, but that doesn't mean that the, the microphone and the message isn't getting out there to, to the supporters. Rudy Giuliani took took the lead in, in this uh, recently, and he was actually in court yesterday. And I, I'm sure you followed this, but it, it looked almost like it, it looked almost comical. Um, yeah, it was like Lionel Hutz, you know, like the Sim- I'm a Simpsons fan. It's like it was like Lionel Hutz, you know, it, it, uh, only less qualified. And, and it, it just, if the wheels came off, but they weren't even wheels to come off. And the fact that he, uh, they, they hit him with that. Well, actually the two voters that you are using don't even live in the counties that are part of the lawsuit. It's just, it's, it's just sad. And he couldn't seem to decide whether or not fraud was part of his, was part of the case. Cause it's not something that was mentioned in the, in the suit as the judge pointed out. So it said, so you were not alleging fraud. And then Giuliani said, well, no, no, we're, this is all that comes before this. There's lots of fraud. So you are specifically mentioning fraud. And oh, I mean, it's, it's all strange because he's Rudy Giuliani. This is not like, this is not somebody they, that they pulled out of a tavern somewhere. This is the, uh, the former uh, you know, chief prosecutor out of the, uh, the Southern District of New York, former you know, America's yeah. mayor, all of that. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's, well, I mean, frankly, it looks pretty embarrassing. Oh, and. Well, now he's Lionel Hutz, uh, you know, only less qualified <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's really the only way I could describe it. Like, it's it, it just like, you know, what's that? I even used one of a, a Lionel Hutz uh, uh, Twitter meme to describe it. It's just, there's just no words for it. And, and uh, you know, I always say desperation is the worst cologne. And, and th- this idea that I believe the media needs to collectively, we need to turn our backs on all of it. Because this has long since become, in my opinion, yelling fire in a, in a crowded theater. This is not protected speech. This is not a search for the truth. This is malicious speech designed to damage and disenfranchise that has no basis, not only in reality, but also in, in uh, this understanding that we have as Americans of a peaceful transition to power and a clear and free election. So first of all, a plus Simpsons reference. That was that that that's a that's a that's a deep track, and I appreciate it. But uh, well, I'm always here for that. <laughs> uh, a great a great character, great Phil Hartman character. Uh, but it's, yeah. so walk us through though. John and I were talking just before the break about you know some of the kind of crazier end game scenarios, and one of them involves and Pennsylvania got some press on this before the election. One of them involves the state legislature. Uh, taking over, uh, relying on the Constitution to name its own electors. Uh, question, question for you: Is there anything to that? Is that something that that no. you and the governor there, there, are on guard about? What what yeah. would stand in the way of that? There's there's no, reality. <laughs> the short answer is reality. Is that that I just everyone just needs to kind of take a, a deep breath and and these like doomsday like oh my god what about this or oh my god that and. And yesterday, when when there was uh, the Wayne County uh, jam up, that was resolved a few hours later. Everybody knows how this movie's going to end. Everybody knows, including the president. He knows that, and you know he is incredibly well positioned to run for president again in 2024. He knows that, 
you know, and, and he will shatter the last remaining norm that's left is I guarantee he will be that president that doesn't fade away or doesn't say, well, you know what, I'm going to let the, let the new person, uh, you know, have the stage. He is going to use his 90 million followers and he is going to continue to lob chaos into the process after Joe Biden takes over, because why not at this point? And I'm not taking any of this seriously. And, and as, as, as an American, not as a Democrat, as an American, it, it is long stopped offending me, uh, this, this grotesque assault on the Democratic franchise uh, that underpins uh, this country. Is, it's vile. If we know how the movie's going to end, and John and I have, have talked about that, I think it, I think I, I think we largely agree that this, you know, this is this is going to end that way. Talk a little bit about yeah. about Vice President Biden and uh, President Elect Biden and the challenges he's going to face in in governing your state. In a lot of ways, is at the uh, is at the forefront of some of the issues that he's going to have to wrestle with to try to to try to figure out what a governing coalition looks like. And we know sure. we've already heard a lot of a, a lot of alarms from progressive groups about the direction of governance. Uh, we know how Biden got elected, yep. and it isn't necessarily uh, with the with the endorsement or enthusiasm of those on the left. How how, how do you see him squaring up, and how do you see him handling? A progressive wing that, as you know, has been very frustrated by what they've seen under both Democrats and Republicans and want to have some real progress on issues sure. like student debt, like yeah. the mm-hmm. environment. They, they want action and they want it now. Yeah, I, I, I would just I, I would hope and think that and, and it seems to be the, the president elect is is signaling that they they his new administration. It will move along the Pareto frontier and try to to impact and, and accomplish as many left-leaning goals through executive order and these other kinds of mechanisms that won't require legislative action. Because, I mean, why we can all cross our fingers and hope that it works out in Georgia, but I'm less optimistic of both sentences. Perhaps one, but both is is going to be a heavy lift, particularly the history on how these races often turn out uh, when they reach runoff. And that's going to be the reality. You know, they're, they're, the Republicans in the Senate, especially if they retain hold, obviously are going to be keeping the chair warm for for the uh, dear leader. And that's going to be the play. And they're going to continually try to undermine. And you're going to have a deeply divided government. But the, 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 therein lies the, the power of executive order and what they can accomplish collectively. And I think they are already they're, – they're, they're not even being uh, discreet about it, is, is that – Moving along that that uh, line of what we can what we can expect to get done that can energize and maintain the coalition that'll be critical to 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 keep going through this. So um, and then uh, another aspect here in Pennsylvania is, is that you're right, it's going to be deeply divided. All you have to do is go through Pennsylvania to see just how deeply divided. But we also need to uh, train uh, everyone needs to train their collective guns metaphorically on. The virus, too. COVID is running rampant both in Pennsylvania and across this country as we head into Thanksgiving. And one of the great tragedies, other than the lives and treasure that this virus has squandered in our nation, is that we have come to see each other as the enemy instead of this virus. And I think that's the, the, the really the tip of the Biden spear you know, when he assumes the presidency is, is like, we, we, we choke this virus out and, and get it so we can agree as Americans that we can't begin to heal and truly come together until we remove this true enemy from our midst. This was a tough election for, for Democrats other than the, the top of the ticket. Uh, Very much. I'm, all those House races, virtually every House race that was competitive seemed to swing in the direction of Republicans. 
obviously, unless there's a miracle in, on January 5th in, in, in Georgia, uh, likely not to regain control of, of the Senate. There, there, there are kind of two schools of thought um, about why it was so bad for Democrats down ballot. One is that um, the, uh, the, the, the progressive talk scared off a, a, a lot of moderates, you know, particularly in, in places like Florida. The, 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 the Democrats were able to successfully portray the, uh, the, the, the Democrats as, as socialist, you know, uh, tying, tying the party to, to, to the, you know, to, to the progressive left in, in Congress, mm-hmm. AOC and, and, and the like. And the other, the other, the other theory is that you know that, that that they weren't progressive enough and didn't excite the base. Um, so what, what, where do you come down on that? What 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 happened? Yeah, I don't embrace either of those camps, quite frankly. And I never thought Florida was really in play, to be honest with you. It's like Florida is a red down state. ballot. Well, I'm talking down, down ballot. Oh, down, down ballot. Then okay, well, down ballot. It's the energy on the ground in Pennsylvania. I, I, I said this, I, I saying this all along through the campaign, like if Pennsylvania is winnable by the president, he is playing it as well as you can play it. He understood what I've been saying, that the, the key to winning Pennsylvania is the margin and the enthusiasm in the small county uh, base across Pennsylvania. People are like, why would you go to a county with 40,000 people? It's like, well, because they, they move in unison together. And him barnstorming Pennsylvania and that kind of energy that he generated, it, it was, uh, you know, it, it blew the polls out of the wall. As I said, it would because you can't, you can't account for that because it's never, it's unprecedented. He did four events in small county Pennsylvania in one day. That's never been done before. And I knew that it would generate a level of, of, excitement and and results that were going to probably surprise everybody and that's exactly what happened and that really translated also into down ballot races too and that uh, the, the, the president's popular he is a transformative figure in his party we had our barack obama and and they have their uh, donald trump and and you can't poll him well you can't extrapolate how this is going to go when they're when they're doing things that have really been unprecedented and they had you know like say what you will they had a deep understanding on how to to work pennsylvania and they did it and and we came up we came up uh, ahead at the top of the ticket but you know our state house and state senate you know absolutely didn't go anywhere close the way most people in polls thought it would Governor, before before we let you go, the first time that I met you was uh, back in 2016. We were all young then, but you were you were running mm-hmm. you were running for the Senate, the Democratic uh, nomination yeah. for the Senate. You fell short in that in that race, but as you know, there's going to be yeah. another Senate race and an open seat now with Senator Toomey's retirement in 2022. Uh, how likely are you to to jump in for that? What's your timeline looking like uh, to make uh, a decision? Sure. I, I, I honestly don't know. There's 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 two lanes that I'm considering and it, it's it's flattering and, you know, like to even be asked. And honestly, I, I don't know. I don't have a, a timeline specifically. I, I don't even know the lane specifically, but uh, it's going to be wherever I feel I can make the, the most impact and and uh, have the, the most benefit to what I honestly believe in. And um, but this idea that we are 
fundamentally a different country now when Joe Biden takes office. It's, it's, it's not true. We are in the same space, the same place. And that's no more true here on the ground in Pennsylvania. And I think the next big story is going to be really is President Trump shredding that one last presidential norm of not fading off into the sunset and taking up painting or charitable work. You know, he is going to be lobbing grenades of chaos into the process throughout it. And if he, they retain the Senate for the next two years, he will have the perfect foil uh, for any, any types of other things. And it's going to be a presidency by executive order along that, hopefully that pro- progressive Pareto frontier to accomplish some important policy goals. And ex-President Donald Trump will be lobbing a lot of those grenades. I anticipate at Republicans, any Republicans who, uh, who, who dare to try to uh, work out something uh, I agree. Joe Biden. But I do like your concept of the painting. Um, you know, George W. Bush really did some – I mean, I, I was impressed with his work as a, as a painter. He did, the, you know, he did his book uh, he, you know, of his portraits uh, to raise money for wounded vets. Great stuff. So maybe, maybe I mean, I mean, so this is intriguing. We're, we're, we're going to look into this. Could we get Donald Trump to take up? I, 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 I doubt it. But what, what he is going to do is, is, <laughs> is try to remain the center of the political universe and with 90 million followers. And, and I think there's going to be a residual addiction, for lack of a better phrase, uh, that, that people just can't not pay attention to it. He's going to be a force uh, for chaos uh, in, the, in the coming years. We will see. It, it is hard to get the attention when you are outside the White House, uh, uh, but we shall see. We shall see. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Governor. All right. That is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. For Rick Klein and our Powerhouse Politics team, Avery Miller and Trevor Hastings, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.